Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We have a big algorithm update to talk about. This time it's not a core update, but it looks like it had devastating effects for a number of sites across this across the web. In this episode, I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about Google's new product review update. This update is meant to promote sites that consistently produce good and helpful content when reviewing products and also services as well. I'll touch also briefly on March 29th, as I promised last week as a potential update date. March 29th wasn't an announced update, but it was a date on which a number of websites started to see a change in their traffic. I did spend quite a few hours analyzing clients of ours that either saw improvements or declines starting on that date, and I don't have a lot of solid information to share with you, but I'll briefly touch on that as well. We know that Google updates their algorithms multiple times per day, but since the end of January, we've been seeing big changes every one to two weeks or so that look to me like significant algorithm updates. So if your traffic started to decline anywhere from the end of January until now, I'll share with you why I think that happened. There can be multiple reasons, but there are some similarities that we're seeing amongst sites that changed at this time. I'll also be talking about something we pulled out of one of Google's help hangouts that gives us just a little bit more evidence to support still using the disavow tool, even for sites that don't have a manual action. So let's get into it. This is episode number 179 of search news you can use. All of the topics that I'll be discussing here today are covered in our newsletter, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Although some of the content we do keep for our premium subscribers, a premium subscription to search news you can use costs $18 a month and includes usually about 5,000 words or so of content, give or take. It includes things like my detailed thoughts on any recent changes that we've been seeing with Google's algorithm, along with many tips, as many as we can find, my whole team and I, to pass on to you to help mold your website into something that Google's algorithms really, really like. I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, April 14th, although if you're listening to it on the day of release, it's Thursday by now, so happy Thursday. Let's talk about this product reviews update. I'll tell you, I don't have it all figured out. It it launched on April 8th, 2021, which from the time of me recording this was six days ago. That's not a whole lot of time to analyze. Something that I've learned throughout the years of analyzing Google updates is that you get a much better analysis if you can wait for a week or two, maybe even longer after a launch. Um, in order to have enough data. I'll share with you in this episode a little bit about what I'm seeing, but let's start by talking about what Google has told us so far about this update. So some of you know that there's this running joke that every time I travel, Google runs a big update. Well, I tweeted about this new update and John Mueller replied saying, oh, I didn't know you weren't on vacation, sorry. 
I really don't think that Google pays any attention whatsoever to my schedule, but it does seem to be a big coincidence that whenever I travel or have something important going on, that's when Google does a, a big update. So I wasn't going on vacation last week. I haven't left my house in a long time as the, the COVID situation is really not good in Ottawa right now. We're in very, very strict lockdown. But I did have some exciting plans for my Thursday afternoon that Google threw a wrench in to by releasing this update. We had two new staff members start last week, and we've been pumping them up all week for Games Day, which is Thursday. Uh, MHC, my team and I, every Thursday, we try to get the full team together, although sometimes some of us have work we have to do. Uh, and we get online and we play silly games and we laugh our butts off. It's, it's great. So I was a little late in joining my team this week because of this update that it was very, very inconvenient for me. Uh, but this week we played some Jackbox games. If, if you're working in a remote office, because I know a lot of you were pushed into remote, if things seem like just a little stale or just disjointed, I really highly recommend doing something like this with your team. I think my favorite Jackbox game is the one where everybody draws silly pictures and then you make also some silly captions and then the rest of the group has to match captions with images to make t-shirts. It's really, really a lot of fun and you can buy these t-shirts too. I'm currently rocking a shirt that has a funny face on it and the caption says, Nick Cage rocks which I know makes absolutely no sense to anybody who's listening to this unless you're part of my team. We have an inside joke at MHC. So Summer, who's our head of social media, if you've ever seen the MHC Inc. account on Twitter, that's Summer who runs that. For some reason, she really, really does not like Nicolas Cage. I have no idea why. So we get great joy out of singing his praises just to bug her. <laughs> so um, Summer, again, runs the MHC Twitter account. So if you ever want to make her day, send her a gif of Nicolas Cage. I promise you it'll bring joy to somebody's face. Not Summer's face, but it'll make me laugh, so you should do it. We have a lot of fun with that. Anyways, I did get to join my team after doing some reading on Google's announcement about this update. Our two new staff members, they're really, really fitting in well. Um, we didn't want to introduce them to, normally on Thursdays we play Among Us, and they can get really nasty because uh, apparently some of my staff is very good at lying. I'm horrible at the game. I think... I'm probably the most voted out person because I look guilty even when I'm not. <laughs> and apparently nobody trusts me. <laughs> but after those games were done, I started looking at what Google had told us about the product review update. Let's start off by looking at the blog post that they published. So this article came out on the afternoon again of April 8th, 2021. And it tells us that the update actually launched on that day and will continue to roll out for two weeks. Now, when Google says that something rolls out for two weeks, in my experience, the vast majority of that rollout is usually done in the first couple of days. I'm not convinced this is the case this time though. When I looked at all of our clients' traffic on Friday, so one day after the update had launched, and usually with a significant update, you can see a lot of movement uh, already one day into the update. Well, we had a couple of sites that perhaps showed some movement, but nothing too crazy. So I tweeted on Monday about a couple of our clients that over the weekend were seeing hockey stick growth. <laughs> That's a funny phrase. 
I think I'm thinking too much of the Toronto Maple Leafs these days. I've been a Leafs fan for almost 50 years now. I'm 47 years old, and I've been an avid Leafs fan for as long as I can remember. And this year's a lot of fun to watch. We're they've they've really disappointed us for so many years in a row, but now we're top of our division. We've made some really good acquisitions at trade deadline. I think we legitimately have a chance to win the cup this year. So you might hear a few more hockey analogies from me over the next couple of months because David and I are watching a lot of hockey. So this hockey stick growth was terribly exciting, but I'll tell you, it didn't make sense. I'll come back to this in a few minutes, but first I, I want to talk about what Google did tell us in this blog post. So the blog post is called what creators should know about Google's product reviews update. They say, we know people appreciate product reviews that share in-depth research rather than thin content that simply summarizes a bunch of products. That's why we're sharing an improvement to our ranking systems, which we call the product reviews update that's designed to better reward such content. So this update was geared towards websites that produce content that help people make decisions when it comes to either buying a product or Danny Sullivan said also, uh, people who are considering a service as well. It's English language only at this point. And as far as I can tell, it is, uh, it has been released globally, uh, just English language only again. Google starts off the post by recommending that we read the advice that they've given in the past. And they link to my favorite Google blog post of all time. Now, what webmasters should know about Google's core updates. If you're new to podcast, then here's my chance to preach to you and tell you that you should not only read that blog post, but study it. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes in case you haven't seen it. It's something very, very important. It essentially summarizes the quality raters guidelines, and it's a checklist that every site owner should be using when assessing the quality of your content. I'm not going to rehash all of the questions in that blog post. But some of the important ones in Google's post on core updates also relate to people who are writing product reviews. Here's a few. Does the content provide original information, reporting, research, or analysis? Next, does the content provide a substantial, complete, or comprehensive description of the topic? These are important questions to ask yourself. If the content draws on other sources, does it avoid simply copying or rewriting those sources and instead provide substantial additional value and originality? And another really important question, and again, these are from Google's original post on what we should know about core updates because they recommend reading that before we dive into uh, the post on actual product review update. Uh, does the content present information in a way that makes you want to trust it, such as clear sourcing, evidence of the expertise involved, background about the author of the site that publishes it, such as thorough links to an author's page or a site's about page. So if you saw declines in rankings that coincide with the product review update, I'd recommend starting your recovery process by pouring over Google's blog post on what site owners need to know about core updates. I think a lot of people read this post and went, well, this is nice, but there's no way Google could measure this type of thing. And before the days of machine learning and advances in natural language processing, I probably would have agreed with you. These questions that Google asks, they can't be answered by a simple yes or no in most cases. 
But what we've seen over the last few years is that when you combine Google's ability to understand language with all of the signals that they can look at, that they describe as EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, for most Google updates these days, when we look at which page is won and which page is lost in the update, it's usually fairly obvious that the winners are sites that generally have better EAT and do a better job at meeting the searcher's needs. I don't think Google gave us these questions just because they think, well, it would be nice for us to have more in-depth content. I, I, I really think that they're able to determine now which content is better. And I know some of you are arguing with me in your heads right now because your posts have been outranked by something that you think is low quality. In some cases, I don't think Google has it 100% correct just yet. I've looked at a few cases where I'm scratching my head to understand why Google would rank a particular page, but the vast majority of the time, although I can't always quantify exactly why a certain page did well, I can tell you that it seems to be the right move. So I wouldn't treat these questions that Google asks just as vague things like when Google used to say in the past, create great content without actually giving us guidelines on how to do that. These legitimately are the guidelines that we were crying out for for many years. We were asking Google, well, you say create great content. Now they've given us guidelines on how to do it. So I do want to go in more detail through the questions Google says to ask yourself about review content. Now, if you're listening to the podcast and you don't have any content on your website that could be considered reviews, I still think there's value in paying attention to these questions because this shows us what kinds of things Google considers good when they look at content. The first question to ask yourself is whether your reviews express expert knowledge about products wherever appropriate. So how do you do that? It's going to look different for every single site. There are some things that we think could really help based on what the quality raters guidelines say. For example, something that could help demonstrate your expertise is an author bio. We have a whole webinar on YouTube about our recommendations for what to put into an author bio and how to build up the EAT of your authors. We'll link to that in the show notes or description as well uh, for this podcast episode. If you're not sure what kind of expertise is necessary, then there's a way that you can determine this. Let's say you've written an article on a medical topic. And the author, or maybe the medical reviewer, which I think is equally as good in most cases uh, as actually having an author who is, uh, has medical expertise. Let's say your author is somebody who's a nurse and has real life practical experience in this area. A lot of the time what our clients ask us is whether perhaps Google would consider it better if they had a doctor review this content rather than a nurse. In most cases, probably the answer to that is yes. I really think the more expertise you can show, the better, but it may not always be necessary and not everybody has the budget to hire the most experienced person uh, that can author your content. Another question we get asked as well a lot is, well, I've got a doctor reviewing my content, but should I go even further and have a specialist review my content? Let me give you an example here. One of our clients has a lot of content that relates to orthopedic surgery. They have a doctor on staff 
who reviews all of their medical content, because it's not all orthopedic. They have medical content of many different kinds. But this doctor is not specifically an orthopedic specialist. So the client asked me whether it would make sense to go out and hire an orthopedic surgeon to help edit and review their orthopedic uh, medical articles. So one way to help our clients make this decision is to look at what's already ranking. We did a search for their top keywords for these articles that discuss orthopedic topics and looked at who was ranking in the top three. And in every case, the article that Google chose to rank was either written or medically fact-checked by an orthopedic surgeon. This is just for this case. It might not be the case for your keywords. So for this company, some of the terms that they wanted to rank for are insanely profitable and they have budget to hire good experts. So probably about two years or so ago, we gave them that recommendation that, yeah, we thought it would be helpful to add an orthopedic surgeon as a reviewer to some of their medical posts. And I just, uh, as I was, before I was recording this, I just opened up their analytics and looked at just the pages that mention orthopedics. And I can see that the articles on their website that talk about bone stuff saw an incredible boost in rankings and traffic with a couple of core updates. One of them was the June 3rd, 2019 update, and then also the May 4th, 2020 update as well. And it's just continued to grow since then. Now we've been working with this client to make many, many changes in terms of quality. So I can't say that, uh, the improvements were solely because they added, uh, an author who actually had experience in orthopedic surgery, but I really think that this helped them. It helped users to trust their posts. And I think it helped Google's algorithms to be even more confident in the fact that uh, the information that's in these articles can be trusted because it's been reviewed by somebody who has extensive expertise in that area. Google wants to show articles that are written by people who know what they're talking about. And this applies to review content as well. As an SEO, I could probably write a very well-optimized and thoroughly researched article on cryptocurrency, even though I have zero real-life experience with cryptocurrency. I probably could get that article to rank a few years ago by doing good SEO, but not today because I don't have the expertise to talk on that subject. So if you're not sure whether you have the appropriate expertise to rank for your review content, then take a look at who is ranking and see what is their level of expertise and is that achievable for you? Now keep in mind with this, that expertise is just one component when it comes to Google's ranking decisions. I see all the time people say, oh, but this blog post is outranking me and they're lacking expertise or maybe, uh, but I'm a doctor and my articles are being outranked by people who are lacking medical expertise. Just keep in mind that expertise is just one piece of the puzzle that Google can factor in when they're making their decisions on what to rank. The next question Google says to ask yourself is whether you have shown what the product is like physically or how it's used with unique content beyond what was provided by the manufacturer. Now this can be hard. I think the point that Google's getting at here is that it's not enough to just take the specs and images from the original manufacturer's site and add a little bit of unique text of your own and then expect that to rank alongside the manufacturer itself. Most of the solutions to creating better quality when it comes to review content are things that really don't scale well. 
If you have a website that has thousands of pages where you've essentially taken the information that you can find on say Amazon or whoever the original manufacturer of this product is, and you've just kind of reworded it, or maybe you've curated it into a list that, um, in order to rank this content, you're going to have to add something of significant value that goes beyond what people can find on the original vendor's website for this product. Um, and also goes beyond what people could find on just a regular Google search. You want to be providing, uh, information that goes beyond what people can normally find. And, uh, this is very hard to do at scale. Something that I think would work really well from a user's perspective for many products is video, video that shows the product in use or images as well. I've been buying a lot of stuff on Amazon lately because I'm stuck at home and I read the reviews and the ones that seem to be the most valuable to me a lot of the time are ones where a user has actually uploaded a picture of them using the product, especially for clothing. I just bought some new jeans on Amazon and man, that was a tough process to go through to figure out what I wanted to buy when you can't actually try them on. But the ones that I settled on were ones where I saw a picture of somebody who seemed to be, you know, about my size and my age. And I thought, yeah, those jeans look good. And then I bought them. So pictures of the product in use, videos of the product in use, Google's telling us that this is something that they think users will find valuable. So you want to be thinking constantly about how can I help them find what it is that they're looking for their answer to? How can I answer the questions that they may have about this product? Google's questions in this blog toast tell us to explain what sets a product apart from its competitors. One of the searches I reviewed this week when analyzing this update, uh, where the query was best women's wallets. And it does look like for that query, Google actually elevated an affiliate post that goes into great detail about the pros and cons of each of the wallets that they're recommending. And as I read it, I thought, you know, this would actually help me to decide on which of these designs I'd want to buy. It doesn't just list here's you know, 10 different designs, it talks about the pros and cons and legitimate ones that would be very, very helpful to people who were trying to decide to buy these wallets. Uh, the next couple of questions in this blog post are very similar to that. They asked whether you cover comparable products to consider or explain which product might be best for certain uses or certain circumstances. They want to see very in-depth detail about how to use these products that you're recommending, that you're reviewing. Something that I've recommended to a large number of clients, although it takes some work to do this, is to create buying guides for your users. You can put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's trying to make a decision on these products and guide them with those decisions. Help them figure out which of these products they really, really are looking to buy. The post also recommends that we discuss the benefits and drawbacks of a particular product based on research into it. Now, most of you who are writing review content, I'm betting that you have not done a significant amount of research into the products that you're reviewing. Most affiliate sites, they kind of list the basics and then maybe add a sentence or two so that technically the content is unique. And then they'll list a link where you can buy the product. But if you can add any sort of research of your own to help people with their buying decisions as well. And it doesn't have to be a crazy expensive study or anything like that. A really simple way to do this is with surveys or polls. 
I've been making use lately of Twitter polls. They're not terribly scientific, but users find them helpful. I ran a poll this week asking my Twitter followers whether they were significantly affected by the this Google product review update. And at the time of posting it, which was very, very early into the update, I probably should repost this poll because uh, this is something I should mention too. A lot of sites that were affected by this update, I'm just starting to see the effects now. So again, I'm recording this April 14th. I just opened up the analytics for one of our clients, again, who's seeing hockey stick growth uh, that only started yesterday, April 13th. So um, if you haven't seen any effects from this update, stay tuned. It might, it might be coming yet. So I ran this poll on Twitter and it was really interesting to see that 12% of the respondents said that they were affected affected positively by this update and 14% said they were affected negatively. And then the rest either had no change or just wanted to see the results of the poll. Even that simple poll tells us information that we wouldn't have if all I did was just summarize what other SEO blogs have written about this update so far. And when I do write something about this update, I think we'll probably have an article on it eventually. Again, I'm, I'm not just going to rehash what everybody else has already said. I get that that can be useful. It can be useful to have information aggregated from many sources, but if that's all you're doing, it's probably not enough in Google's eyes. You need to add significant value of your own. So when I write a blog post on the product reviews update, it's also going to contain screenshots of specific examples. Um, and you know, provided I can find some and other information that you can't find elsewhere. And that will make, now that's not actually a review post, uh, but still it's an article that really should be valuable to people and that we hope Google would want to rank next to, uh, the official documentation on this update. So let's say, here's an example. Let's say that you operated a, a gardening website and you were writing an article on manual push mowers. Provided you had a big enough audience, you could create a poll. It could be on Twitter, could be Reddit, could be a number of places, or you could use Google surveys. I've had good success with that as well. There's many ways you could do it. And you could ask people whether they would ever consider using a manual push mower. And if you encourage people to leave comments, then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of user generated content that you can choose. That's very, very good for helping users to make their buying decision. If I see person after person saying, yeah, this push mower, it wasn't only better for the environment than a gas mower, but, uh, also it gave me good exercise and it did a good job at cutting my yard and it was super easy to use. Well, that might help move me along in my buying decision. And that's the type of content that I really think would do very well in Google's new product review algorithm. The next thing they say to do is to describe how the product has evolved from previous models. That's not something that I see a lot of in review content. I think that might be specific to certain types of topics. It wouldn't apply to every sort of review uh, that you would write. Um, and the last two questions I'm going to lump into one because I think together they're the most important thing in this whole article. Identify key decision-making factors for the product category and how the products are formed in those areas. For example, a car review might determine that fuel economy, safety, and handling are key decision-making factors and rate performance in those areas. 
And also describe key choices in how a product has been designed and their effect on users beyond what the manufacturer says. All of this really is saying, do all you can to help the searcher make better decisions, especially when they're trying to buy a product. So next week, I'll likely share with you some of the data and on what I'm seeing. I was going to share some stuff today, but some of our clients that saw massive gains are back down to normal levels of traffic after a day or two of being up. Uh, before I move on to another topic, just a few more things I want to say uh, about this product review update um, so that we've got everything covered. Somebody asked Danny Sullivan whether this was just for single product reviews or also roundups like top 10 lists. And Danny said, yes, the roundups and top 10 lists counted as review content that would be assessed under this algorithm. This update is one that'll run periodically, which is frustrating news for those of you who maybe didn't do so well after April 8th. If you're working to improve your content in regards to reviews, you'll have to wait until Google reruns this update in order to see if you're going to see improvements. This reminds me of the days when we would wait eagerly for a Panda update or Penguin as well. And sometimes Google would tell us that they ran these updates and sometimes they wouldn't. And we'd just have to kind of figure it out uh, as the SEO community ourselves. It sounds like Danny Sullivan is saying that they will announce when they rerun the product reviews update. So if we hear any news on that happening, I'll be sure to report on that as well. Um, another thing to know is that right now, as far as I know, this is a global update, not just in the US or certain parts of the world, but it does impact English queries uh, only, which is what they did when they first made announcements about BERT. My guess is that they're probably using their language understanding capabilities to help determine which reviews really do go into great depth. Two other things to know about this update are that it impacts discover rankings as well. And the most interesting thing to me is that, uh, this is a site-wide update. And this is something that I've seen amongst our clients that were affected either positively or negatively. I'll share more on this in the future. Um, but it's different than some of the little mini unannounced updates that I've been talking about since the end of January. With those changes, we could really see that Google was promoting pages as opposed to entire sites with good content. And in some cases, we saw changes even on the keyword level. Uh, and this makes sense because I think sometimes what Google has been doing is not getting necessarily better at assessing content. I mean, they're doing that. But I think more importantly, they're getting better at assessing the intent behind a query. But with this product review update for the clients of ours that had hockey stick growth, it was across the majority of pages on their site, not just pages that could be considered review content. So this is part of my job for the next week is trying to figure out why certain sites did well. I found some random examples where it really does look like Google's elevated an article that does a great job at answering all of these questions in their blog post. Um, the ones that we've just gone through, but the vast majority of ranking changes that I've seen, uh, after April 8th, just don't really make sense. Uh, it's, it's not that they're not good, but they're not review content that I'm seeing improve or in some cases decline. So provided we don't have another core update in the next week, which who knows anything could happen, uh, then I should have more information for you next week 
about the specifics of what we're seeing in regards to the product review update. I did include some screenshots from Glenn Gabe and also Lily Ray uh, in newsletter where they tweeted some examples of sites that either improved or declined with this update. So if you're interested, again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. I'm going to move on now from the product reviews update just to talk about a few other things that we learned about this week. But I'll tell you that there's way more in newsletter that I could put into this podcast. It would be several hours long if I covered everything. Uh, But I wanted to cover what we knew so far about product reviews because I think a lot of you are going to be very, very interested in figuring out what Google is doing here. Uh, Before I get onto that news, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to talk to you again about Sightbulb. We've been fortunate enough to have Sightbulb sponsor the odd episode of this podcast. If you're not familiar with Sightbulb, it's a crawler that launched in 2017, but it's evolved very much from being just a crawler into being a very comprehensive SEO auditing tool. I highly recommend it. The tool is powered by cutting edge crawling technology, utilizing the latest version of Chrome for JavaScript rendering, which means it literally can crawl any website that you need to audit. You also don't need to worry about limits or credits. You can crawl anything from a few pages to hundreds of thousands of pages, and the reports that you get are incredibly helpful. We first gave Sitebulb a try for the crawl maps. It's such a cool way to visualize a site's structure and to get across to a site owner where search engines might be having problems with crawling their content. What I think is even more valuable than the crawl maps are the hints and recommendations that the tool gives you once you've completed a crawl. If you're looking for things to improve from a technical aspect on your website, I really encourage you to give Sightbulb a try. You can do that for free with an extended trial license using the code SEARCHNEWS you can use at sightbulb.com slash searchnews. That's all one word. If you do try it out, I'd love for you to share, uh, share it with me that you've done that. Maybe share me, uh, share with me a picture of a crawl map of your site. I love seeing how different sites are structured. They're so addictive to look at it. They make really good wall art too. (laughs) If you're kind of weird like me, only weird people make crawl maps into wall art. (laughs) Speaking of wall art, I decided that it's likely going to be a while before I'm working regularly in our office. So I brought all my art home. I've got colorful penguin paintings and I have a Banksy panda shooting guns. It's a replica. I don't have a real Banksy but you probably would be a little jealous of my hideout (laughs) above our garage. I feel like a mad scientist up here. I'm constantly learning stuff and, and writing and then a little bit of teaching in there as well. I'm looking forward though to one day being back in the office. I, I really miss hanging out with my team. I told you in last week's podcast that I'd have more information for you on the March 29th update. Google didn't announce anything on this date, uh, but this was another one of those days in which a large number of sites saw changes that really look typical of what we see with algorithm updates. I did review quite a few of our clients over the last week that either saw increases or decreases at this time. And you know, what I found was the same thing that I've been finding with each of these little mini updates since the end of January. The search results just seem a little bit more relevant. One example uh, is a client of ours that uh, didn't do great after the March 29th update for one of their particular pages. They had a page on their website that had a calculator on it. 
Um, I, I can't share exactly what the calculator is, but it's very similar to a mortgage calculator. So, uh, the page was still, it's ranking great for many phrases. Like if you were looking for the calculator itself, I believe it ranks number one. Um, but it used to rank for phrases that it was, it really shouldn't have ranked for. Uh, for example, if you typed in mortgage, again, not the actual word, but if you typed in, uh, the word instead of mortgage calculator, you know, really people who search for that word, there might be some people who wanted to use the calculator, but for most people that wasn't their intent. And these little intent updates, I think one of the reasons why people aren't talking about them is because even though traffic is down for a number of sites, converting traffic really hasn't changed. Now that's not the case for everybody, but for a lot of our clients, even when traffic is down, we can see that traffic to their important pages, traffic that converts and actually makes customers out of searchers seems to be doing okay. If we look at the analytics for this client of ours, it's not enjoyable to see that from March 29th on, there's an erosion of traffic. But it looks like the traffic that this site is no longer getting was irrelevant, kind of useless traffic anyways. Google just got better at figuring out that this page is a great page, but it's not a great fit for certain queries that it used to rank for. So I think that's really, really interesting. I, again, I'm going to have more examples uh, for you in the future. I, I still think it's possible that something more significant happened on March 29th because we have more sites affected on that date than others. Uh, the week following was Easter, so that kind of makes things a little bit tricky, uh, but there definitely was something that happened on March 29th. I had to stop myself from spending my entire weekend assessing it. Uh, I might come back to this date if we have any particular clients that are asking for us to look into a specific drop at that time, but just just know that on many dates starting January 27th, we saw little updates that could reflect Google getting better at understanding intent, or as I've said in past episodes, could reflect that the knowledge graph is changing, which also would improve Google's understanding of the topics that are on many of these pages. So if you saw declines in January, February, or March this year, I'd encourage you to look at our algorithm update list. You can find that at mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O, and see if you can determine whether your declines start on one of the dates that we noted as one of these little mini updates. If this is the case, my guess is that you're not going to improve your website or at least improve, recover these ranking losses by making technical fixes. You're probably not going to recover these rankings by disavowing. It's very unlikely that you're going to find a simple, quick smoking gun to blame for the drop and magically fix. You're going to have to be looking at the quality of your content and looking at who's now outranking you and putting your thinking cap on and deciding why would searchers find this post that Google elevated above mine more useful. Again, something that doesn't scale very well. Um, we have to do this on a page by page basis in most cases. Something else that we covered in newsletter this week is that Google has made changes to some of the core web vital scores. They've changed how they measure cumulative layout shift. And you'll likely notice if you've been monitoring your CLS numbers in Google search console, that your CLS scores have improved. 
Google says that with this new way of measuring, 55% of the sites out there are likely not going to see much of a difference in their CLS score, but the rest will actually see improvements in their score. They predict that 3% of websites will actually see their scores go from either poor or needs improvement to actually being considered good. So that's kind of interesting. Speaking of Search Console, there are some UX changes now. You might have heard that we can now use rejects, which is super helpful for a lot of people looking at their Search Console data. I also noticed changes in how uh, some of Search Console's laid out, just UX changes. It feels just a little bit smoother to me now, a little bit less buggy perhaps. Uh, although I really wish they'd make the date picker more intuitive. I get incredibly frustrated when I'm trying to compare dates in Google Search Console. Another thing to be aware of is that apparently a lot of people are seeing increases in soft 404 errors uh, in Search Console as well. This could be a very big issue for some websites. I probably should have started off with this. I, I think it could be a bigger issue than we know. So a soft 404 page is a page that actually returns a 200 status code. So the 200 status code is the code that tells us, yes, this page is alive and well and functioning properly. But for some reason, with a soft 404, for some reason, Google thinks that this page should actually be a 404 page, not found code. I always laugh whenever I talk about 404s because when I first decided to hire people and start a company, the first office we moved into was office number 404. And I joked to David, my husband, that nobody would ever be able to find us. And it was like three years later that he landed on some random 404 page uh, when he was doing a web search. And he said, Oh, I get it now. 404, like not found. <laughs> he doesn't, he, the only SEO he knows is when I blab on to him about stuff that, uh, and, and now that I'm recording podcasts and I can blab on to you, my, David doesn't know nearly as much SEO as he used to. So uh, he's missing out here because of podcast. I should make him listen to it maybe. <laughs> uh, there's a really interesting tweet thread that Barry Schwartz covered on Search Engine Roundtable um, where somebody from a large apartment rental website is having all sorts of pages drop out of the index because of this 404, soft 404 issue. And it's really impacting their traffic. This isn't just a reporting issue. John Mueller was asked about this in a help hangout. And he said that Google actually did change something in how they do soft 404 detection. Uh, I saw a tweet, although I'm not sure if it's being facetious. I, I really do think it was legit. Oliver Mason uh, was tweeting about how he was able to get Google to consider a valid page, a 404 page, by all he did was add an H1 tag, and the H1 tag said, sorry, we couldn't find anything, which is, you know, a common phrase that you would use or that you would find on a 404 page if somebody was searching for a product. So he inspected this page in Search Console, and even though it wasn't serving a 404 status code, Google actually considered it to be a 404 page, a soft 404 page. It's like Google recognized that the language on the page was saying page not found and assuming that the site owner had made a mistake and that it should be serving a 404 rather than 200. So then he changed the H1 tag to say something just slightly different. Instead of saying, sorry, we couldn't find anything, 
he changed it to, look, we couldn't find anything. Just a little bit different. But amazingly, when he recrawled that page and had Search Console uh, revisit it with a live test, it actually returned a 200 status code. So interesting stuff. If you are uh, noticing that pages are dropping out of the index, um, I, would, I, I haven't looked into this in great detail, but I would look at Search Console and see if you have pages being reported as soft 404s. Um, and then look at the verbiage on those pages. I, I do feel like Google will change this. Who knows? Maybe it's already been changed by now. Uh, but look at the verbiage and see, is there something here that is causing, I, I would bet that this apartment website, um, probably has pages that have the words, we couldn't find anything or no results for your query. Uh, and so I bet changing those words would probably make a difference and Google would value these pages again. Again, I haven't looked into this in great detail, and I'm wondering now whether maybe some of the traffic losses that we've been seeing and calling mini algorithm updates are connected to this. I, my guess is no, because I'm actually seeing ranking changes. I'm not seeing pages drop out of the index for sites that were affected by these little mini intent updates. Um, but I, I, th I think it's possible. So we'll look into that. If I have more information on this issue, I'll, uh, I'll share it with you. If you have more information though, I'd love for you to tweet at me and let me know again, Marie underscore Haynes. Now this next bit of news is super interesting to me. A few years ago, John Mueller mentioned that they were doing a, a live help hangout in New York City. And he said, oh, anybody from New York City who wants to join out, uh, join in this hangout could join him. Well, I've always wanted to meet John. I've never met him before this point. So I said, I'll be there. <laughs> I live very far. Well, not very far, but, uh, uh, you know, an hour flight uh, from New York City. So I hopped on a flight to join John. This was a couple years ago and several other SEOs. That's where I met Lily Ray. Lily and I sat together and really hit it off and, uh, and had a blast, you know, and in this hangout, I asked John whether unnatural links have the power to hurt a site in Google's algorithms, even if there's no manual action present on the site. I'm going to read the quote that John gave me. Now this was two years ago. He said, quote, that can definitely be the case. So it's something where our algorithms, when we look at it and see, oh, there are a bunch of really bad links here then maybe they'll be a bit more cautious with regards to the links in general for the website. So if you clean that up, then the algorithms look at it and say, oh, there's kind of, well, it's okay. It's not that bad. This is what John said. Well, in the most recent help hangout, he touched on this again. Somebody asked him about a domain name that they recently bought that hadn't been used for 10 years. But previously, 10 years ago, it looks like a bunch of self-made links, links that Google would probably consider unnatural links were created pointing to this domain name that they had now bought. So the interesting part about this question in the help hangout was that this site owner clearly said that there was no manual action in Search Console. If you ever buy a new domain and are wondering if it's been penalized by Google, if it has a manual action that's still active in Google's system, when you register that site with Google Search Console, you'll see that manual action there. So this site had no manual action. And here's what John said about the links pointing to that domain name. Quote, one area where you might see some kind of after effects for a while is with regards to links. 
If the old website had a lot of really, really bad artificial links associated with it, then that might be something that at some point we would count against your website in that sense, even if in the meantime, you have a different website up there. That's kind of interesting, right? The product review update hindered me this week because my week was supposed to be studying all of the clients that we have filed a disavow for in the last year. We currently recommend doing a link audit and filing a disavow for any site that has a link profile that we feel could warrant a manual action if Google's web spam team happened to review the site. We've removed hundreds of manual actions over the years, so we have a pretty good sense of what it is that Google goes after. But sometimes we struggle on our recommendations when we see a site that has links that go against Google's guidelines, but yet the site still seems to be ranking quite well and never really has suffered in terms of rankings. When you file a disavow, you're asking Google to stop counting the signals from every link or domain that you put in your disavow. And in some cases, it's possible that you can disavow links that were actually passing good signals along. You don't want to disavow just randomly. And I know this is probably an unpopular opinion, but you absolutely do not want to disavow based on what a tool tells you. There are several tools, some of which I love for other parts of their tools that do a horrible job, in my opinion, for telling people which links to disavow. John Mueller actually said probably about a year or so ago that if a tool can tell you which links to disavow, then Google's probably just ignoring those anyways. So these words in the most recent help hangout where John says that yes, old unnatural links might be something that at some point could count against your website kind of pushes me towards wanting to recommend disavowing more often now. Uh, we'll see though. I, I'm not sure whether I'll have this research done this week or whether it might take a few more weeks, but I will eventually share with you in all honesty, whether clients that we have disavowed for saw improvements that we think we can tie to the disavow. And that's really tricky because with all of these little mini updates that Google's had, let's say we filed the disavow in mid January and the site saw improvements in mid February. It's possible that these improvements had absolutely nothing to do with the disavow. So I'm really looking forward to digging into this data. And again, I'll share that with you, uh, most likely in the form of an article and also in this podcast in the weeks to come. The final bit of news, my apologies, this is a longer podcast. We had so much to share. The final bit of news that I'll pass on to you, for those of you who do local SEO, I'm hearing some rumblings that reviews are not posting in Google My Business. This has nothing to do with Google's product review update. It's a completely different issue. Uh, but if you've received some new reviews on your Google My Business profile and you haven't seen them get published yet, just know that there might be something going on on Google's side here. Uh, that was a lot of stuff this week. I, I know a lot of you were really interested in this product review update. I'm sure I'll have more specific information for you next week as I'll be doing a lot of investigation uh, over the next few days or so. I'm taking off early this afternoon to go get lost in Fortnite for a bit. I, I've been thoroughly enjoying the new season. I know that's an unpopular opinion as well. A lot of people don't like this new season. My girls keep bugging me that uh, to play Fortnite with their friends. And I always say no, because these kids are so much better than me. And they just stomp on me every time I try to fight against them. Well, I'm very proud of myself because this week I said yes. And I'll tell you, I'm a horrible person for being happy about this, but I absolutely destroyed my girl's friends. 
Uh, they decided that I must have no job and spend all of my time playing Fortnite. <laughs> I was trying to tell them that not only do I have a job, but I run a company and I work very, very hard. <laughs> I haven't laughed as hard as that uh, in a long time. We had such a great time. So this afternoon, I'm going to zone out and play Fortnite for a few hours. Probably not pay any attention to Twitter or Google. <laughs> Watch, this will be when Google launches another big update. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to leave me a thumbs up or a like on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you're not subscribing, I'd love for you to do that too, so that every week you'll get notified when we release a new episode. Thanks again so much for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 